Monday evening, I'm Megan and it is time for the takeover. But we're going to do things a little differently here tonight because last week we had 14 students joining us from across the southeast for TY Media Week here at Beat 102-103, which myself, along with Jade Mar from Beat News, coordinated. The students really got a hands-on experience of what it's like to work in radio. They got to go out and about and interview people in the public while also conduct an interview with some industry professionals to create a programme which is going to be broadcast tonight. So from vaping to uh, Irish cultural quirks, they covered it all. So you're going to hear from them very soon after Jason Derulo and Megan Trainer next. The Takeover with Megan O'Regan Byrne. This is What is the crack? I'm Megan. And all last week, which you've heard me chatting about so much, myself and Jade Marr from Beat News coordinated the TY Media Week here at Beat, uh, where we were joined by 14 students from across the southeast. They really got to delve into radio and see what goes on behind the scenes while also working on their projects, which they are showcasing tonight. So I'm going to hand it over to Ushin Langford and Andrew Lupishin um, on Southeast Music and its community. This TY Media Week programme is funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee and has been devised by Learning Waves in association with Beat 102-103. Hello, I'm Andrew. In this segment of the radio, we're going to talk about music from the southeast, if enough people listen to it, and why you should. We're going to interview the public first and what they think about southeast music. Have they listened to it before, or is it a new thing to them? Off to you, Shane. So, do you enjoy music? Oh, I, I love music, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, all types. Yes, I do like music, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what sort of music do you like or listen to? Uh, mainly chart music, so I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind whether it's current or old music, but mainly chart music, so I guess kind of uh, mainstream music, I would say, yeah. I enjoy all types of music. Such as? I enjoy lots of different artists from like pop artists to alt indie to people like Billie Eilish. Artists from the southeast. Ah, maybe. well, Delorentos, uh, Keen to Crow, MC Harry Bachman. Yup, yup. <laughs> Not that I can think of. Irish artists, no, I don't. All right, a few mixed answers there. So we decide to interview a local band on what they think. I'm joined by. All right, and we're going to start with some basic openers. Okay, can everybody introduce themselves and say what instrument they play? Hello, I'm Dan Heary, and uh, I play the guitar. I'm David, um, I'm the drummer. I'm Ryan, and I play bass. And I'm Ozzy, and I do vocals. All right, now for a fun one. You're stuck on a desert island, and you can only bring three albums. Which three albums would you bring? Wolfpecks, Madison Square Garden live gig. A day, or is it a night at the opera by Queen? Okay. Origin of Symmetry by Muse. Ooh. There's three albums I would bring. You're probably an outro by Nirvana, uh, Igor by Tyler the Creator, and uh, Enema of the State by Blink-182. Deluxe Vices and Virtues, The Black Parade, and Absolution. Around the Fur by Deftones, Canopsia by Quanic and Bangarang by Skrillex. All right, next we're going to talk about the main topic of this interview it's um kind of the impact that music has on the community and the kind of community that you gather through doing music my first question is 
How do you feel about the following and community you've garnered through gigging within Waterford? We're very humbled to see um, familiar faces at every single gig. It's nice that we have like a gleet and close, like tight knit audience. Um, and especially what I love even more is when it's a person who just showed up at the venue comes in and they're like, oh, I really liked your music. Oh, you're so cool. And it's just like, oh, we made a new one. We found, we found a new one. But it's really nice just to have our circle of people that we, we know that we kind of feel safe in a way if they're there. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah from like my experience with you, um, since I started going to like all the gigs around Watford, everybody goes to everybody else's gigs and everybody's in bands and they all play in the same venue, that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's nice. But do you think there's like a typical Aliens and Caves fan? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that? Uh, dyed hair. Dyed hair. Piercings. Um, just your typical, like, if you were to imagine, like, get out of my room, mom, kind of person, yeah, it's that. Uh, and then randomly, like, an old woman. Honestly, oh, an old woman. Oh, 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 such a legend. But, like, look at us. We're on <laughs> Is there a large scene of local bands within Waterford and the wider southeast? I feel like there's a lot of variety. If you really dig deep into the music scene, you can get things from trash metal to trad music. And there's always gigs going on, which is also great. Even when you're walking through town, you might have buskers that you hear just playing music. Do you think there's a specific sound or genre that you see across all bands you played with, like sort of certain styles and that sort of stuff that they kind of aim for? Like. Loud. Yeah, essentially, is there a Waterford sound? Is there a Southeast sound? Definitely, yeah. it's loud. It's mainly rock. If yeah. it's mainly rock and folk. Yeah. 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 Two Time Charlie. Two Time Charlie would be like the biggest one. Like, yeah. they played electric technique. So, I've heard you've recently released a single. Is that correct? It's amazing. Yeah. And what's the single called? Called Us. Well, us. Us. And who is Us? So, um, it's based on a house party that I went to a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> And I wrote a song based on that kind of like teenage experience of going to a house party and how like what like um how it can fall apart very yeah. easily. Have you played it live yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Many times. Yes. Many times, yeah. Many times. What was the response from the audience? Oh my god. Like really, really good for some reason. It had been out barely a few days and people had learned the lyrics. I don't know, it feels like not real. It's weird. It feels really not real. Just like to actually have this song that we worked on quite a lot to be out there and for people to really like it. Now, the way you describe it, it sounds like such an amazing song. Where can people listen to it? Spotify, not YouTube. SoundCloud, but not SoundCloud. <laughs> but Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, YouTube, YouTube Deezer, um, Apple Music. Apple music. Yeah. You can find it wherever you listen to your music. If you search up Aliens in Caves, then bam, it's there. Is it one word? In our bio, if you were to check out our Instagram, you will see the first thing in the bio is it's aliens in caves, one word, not aliens in caves. Is there any other artists or local bands you would like to shout out? Um, Chalk Blonde, they're very up and coming and they're, they have good stuff coming up. Absinthe definitely deserve a shout. Uh, I think Lithium Lounge as well, they're a pretty cool band. We've played with them a few times. Thank you, lads. And I'd like to finish with one more thing. Do... Do. We're going to try that one more time. (laughs) And finally, do, 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 do.
brilliant. It's a local band that through their alternative rock have created a very nice tight-knit community full of other inspired artists and just have an audience they can recognize and love. It's really an amazing community to be a part of. A big, big shout-out to Aliens and Caves. Please check out their new single, Us. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Right, and now it's time to get back into our TY Media Week. Talking about Gen Skills, it's Quiva O'Neill and Faith Nickagon. I'm Faith. And I'm Quiva. And we are here as part of Beast's TY Takeover to give you all an authentic teenager's view into the different skills and talents that can be seen across the generations. Teenage life, the ups, the downs, the struggles, the thrills and the skills. Quiva. You were telling me earlier how just last week you got into a fist fight with your sewing machine. Talk about cross-stitching. Yes, Faith. So as part of our TY mini business, we were trying to sew and that did not go as planned. God, that's a pity. But you were telling me that your grandmother knows how to operate a sewing machine. Yes, my granny is very good at sewing, but unfortunately we were not. Yeah, similar thing happens to me with my granddad. He's great at repairing stuff, but I, on the other hand, am useless. We've noticed, actually, that young people's skill sets generally differ from the skill sets of elderly people. Teenagers' focus now is on being tech-savvy instead of traditional skills like knitting. To dive deeper into this... We asked the public about their confidence and their abilities to do some commonly needed skills. Listeners from a variety of age groups, here's what you said. Would you prefer to learn a skill on YouTube or face-to-face with someone who already knows the skill? I prefer to learn face-to-face with someone who already knows the skill. Face-to-face. Face-to-face. Oh, I'd much prefer to do it face-to-face with somebody who already knows the skill. How confident would you feel changing a flat tyre? I'm not very confident. (laughs) Confident. Not very confident at all. Oh, I'd, I'd be quite confident to change a tyre. Are you able to use a sewing machine? No. No. Yeah. We learned to birth in home ec. I am indeed, yep. Interesting how one of our younger listeners mentioned home economics. What's your opinion, Faith, on the ongoing debate that it should be made a mandatory subject for junior cycle students? Well, Quiva, I believe it should be compulsory, as it teaches people crucial life skills that they may not learn anywhere else. Many kids in school learn useful skills that they can use throughout their lives in home economics, such as cooking and sewing. We spoke to a home ec teacher from Art School Namara to find out more. Do you believe home economics should be made compulsory for all students? I 100% agree with that. Um, even if it wasn't an exam-based subject, but they learned some sort of skills like for cooking and preparing themselves for later on in life. I have taught in the UK and the UK do it. They have to do it for three years compulsory. So I would 100% agree that all students should do it. There's many different life skills. So I suppose one would be survival. You know, when you decide to leave home, you can cook for yourself and bake things. I suppose you also learn textile skills as well. It could be even simple as turning up a hem on your skirt, sewing on a button on your shirt. So there would be a number of different skills. Never fear, though, if you're a teen not doing home ec, because we interviewed Tracy McEnany from Waterford Library to ask her for alternative solutions. What do you feel the importance of traditional skill classes for young people would be? I think it's important. And I think I'm in um, the Waterford Camera Club and I think you have to be 18 and over to join that. But I think there should be more things for younger people. The craft classes are more aimed at adults then instead of teens. The craft class are aimed at adults, but they're aimed at everybody. The only thing about this is they're on during school times. 
Yes, you're right. It's more aimed at adults than it is teens. How do you find the demand for these classes for young people? I know you said that there's some that are on during school times, but what about the ones that are on after school? The teen book club is very good. I think there's about seven um, in the book club at the moment. And then all the classes you will see. Anything that we have is on our social media, which is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and of course on our website. But I would love to see teenagers coming into our libraries, telling us what we want, and then we could accommodate what you want. Go to your local library. Go to the likes of your school even and say, look, we want this. Can you make it happen? Or this TY Media Week programme is funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee and has been devised by Learning Waves in association with Beat 102-103. The biggest hits on the planet. Mark Ronson, Miley Cyrus, nothing breaks like a heart. On Monday Night's Takeover, I'm Megan. We are going to hear some more from our TY students after Becky Hill next. Then on your number one hit music station, it's Becky Hill. Right, it is time to get back to our TY Media Week. And looking at marketing's effect on people, it's Daniel Lawler and Ruckus Andrusitis. Many people don't realise that marketing is everywhere and constantly influences our decision making. It can help people become more aware of a product change and how somebody looks at a product. I'm Daniel. Me and my partner Ruckus are part of the Beat TY Media Week. We interviews these people to understand more about people's spending habits and how marketing is tailored to control our decision making. We asked a member of the public their opinion. Has any ad ever stuck in your mind because it was happy or sad, like maybe at Christmas time? Yeah, I suppose Christmas ads, yeah. Happy. Would you be able to describe the any of the ads? Uh, big food spread, family sitting, laughing, joking, yeah, enjoying a meal together. Would you ever say that ads have changed much through the years, getting more... Would they be more aggressive now? Would the things that are advertised on telly be much different than they were maybe 10 years ago? Sure. Yeah? Yeah, for sure. They're more orchestrated and more psychologically addressed. You know, they address the psychological approach. Dissuade people. Do you use any apps like YouTube or TikTok? No. Do you ever feel that ads, maybe on a website, maybe if you're on Google, you're looking up something, do you ever feel those ads are very invasive or frustrating? No, not really. I turn them off. I turn off as many of them as I can, and I just, like, turn them off the minute they pop up. Thank you, Daniel, for the interview with the public. Next up, we have commercial director for Beat 102-103, Michael Barry. Here it is. How is an ad created? So I suppose... The initial thing would we would meet with a client and we would have a brief and they would go through what product they have, what they're hoping to do and give us some information. And then we would take the brief back here to the broadcast centre and we would go through it and we would then create a script. That script, once it's created, would be sent to the client. They would approve the wording. And then once they approve the wording, we would then make the ad to their specifications via female, male actor, do they want it sound exciting, do they want it sound informational? All of that would be in the brief. And once we agree that with the client, we would send the script to production and then Darren here in production would get the ad produced. Once the ad is produced, we would then send the audio back to the client and then the client would listen and approve it and then we would put it on air. In estimate, how much do ads boost sales? It's hard to put an exact figure on it. However, when you have a product, a new product to sell or you have a sale on, when you run an ad on, on any radio station, the cost per thousand is very, very low. And what I mean by that is the unit cost or the euro it costs for you to reach a thousand people. 
I think radio is one of the best mediums for that. And we would often find with clients who run sale ads that they'd often call you two or three or four days into the sale and say, look, we want to go back to our normal ad because we've sold out of a product. So I would say it's a really, really um, successful way of advertising your brand and your product. Do seasonal ads earn more revenue compared to regular ones? Yes, um, not, not, not so much seasonal ads, but seasonality is definitely a factor in radio sales. Q4, which would be the last three months of the year, October, November, December, we would definitely see a spike in sales. I suppose Christmas time is a time where people want to buy gifts for their family and friends. So, you know, stores would really want to benefit on that. So I would say, yeah, seasonally, it's October, November are normally our biggest revenue months. And, you know, for a lot of businesses, that's when they make their money. That was Michael Barry from Beat 102.03. Next up, we have social media content creator Kirsten. Here it is. Have you ever turned down a sponsor deal because you don't align with their morals? Absolutely. That's actually something that happened quite recently. I was actually with the brand that I have have worked with over a couple of years. It was actually with a brand that I had a long relationship with and recently they came out to be in a scandal. They said that they were recycling all these clothes. They were actually putting them into dumps, a landfill across in different countries, um, which doesn't align with what I do. I try to shop as sustainably as possible um, and they were kind of, I suppose, they call it greenwashing. Trying to come across like they were being good to the environment, but in fact they weren't. They were doing the complete opposite. So I've cut all ties with them. Generally, what kind of ad tends to get a good response from your demographic? The most like normal looking one. It's always the one where I'm in my pajamas or, <laughs> you know, doing something really casual. It's the less production um, put into it. I think the the more people like it. I think they like it to be organic and to seem as organic as possible. Has anyone mentioned to you that they have purchased a product from your sponsor deals? Yeah, actually, I get it a lot. And I, I was surprised at how much people actually do kind of value your opinion. And I think that's I think that's why it's important to be as honest as possible, because people do take you seriously. And you, you don't want I'd never want to promote a product that I don't wholly believe in because I'd hate it for, to not work for other people. Obviously, it's different for everyone. But for myself, I like to know that what I'm putting out there is what I enjoy. And maybe other people might enjoy it, too. Or maybe they won't like it. And I like hearing people's feedback on what they think of things. What kind of audience do you tend to market towards? My audience would be, I suppose, young people. My age de- demographic on Instagram that follow me is weird because I like to describe myself as a child in a grown-up's body. I love to do things that let me embrace my inner child. Like I, I roller skate. I love to swim in the sea. I love to just go and have a bit of crack and a bit of fun. Um, so I think that's why I might appeal to a lot of um, age groups because, I mean... There's young people looking at me going, oh, God, she's so young. And then there's older people looking at me going, oh, God, like she's acting so young. Maybe I don't have to act my age because we're always told to act our age. And I think we should act like children sometimes. Has the company ever sponsored you more than once? And if so, was the feedback good? Yeah, um, I actually, thankfully, am very grateful to have a really good relationship with all the brands that I've worked with. Most of them anyway, obviously. One or two are by the wayside now because their ethics just don't align with what I try to be. Obviously, I'm, I'm not perfect, but um, I do try my best. And um, yeah, it's, it's nice to forge relationships with different brands. And you find that one brand leads on to another brand. And it's not so much the brand that you're collaborating with. You actually end up knowing the people behind it, too. I've made great friends from working with different brands and companies, which I'm really grateful for. So there's a lot more comes out of it than just your work. Like it's not just about going and doing the work and getting it done. Yeah, I suppose it's nice to get to know people along the way. 
You're right, that's all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks to these interviews, we can now understand more about the long-term effects marketing has on consumers and some of the cheeky ways businesses use ads to influence our spending. Remember to shop around and compare prices before you spend. Thank you for listening. This TY Media Week programme is funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee and has been devised by Learning Waves in association with Beat 102-103. When I'm working, Bring the Beat gets me through it. This is Beat. Beyond obsessed with that track. It's just so catchy. Brand new from Dua Lipa at Houdini on Monday Night's Takeover. I'm Megan and we have been hearing from our TY Media Week students who joined us all last week and worked really hard on projects and investigating sports and theatre to find out are they really all that different it's Faye Turner and Kate and Daniels. You're ready. The takeover on beat. I'm Faye. And I'm Kate Ann. And we wanted to know if sport and theatre are really as different as they see. We took to the streets to see what people think. What stereotypes do you think are behind sports? Sport is more for men. Do you think it is realistic for a young person to aim for a job in sport? It's very hard. It's like one in a lot of people and it takes incredible amount to work. Uh, always have some sort of safety net because you're not going to need anything. But if you put in the hard work and you have the talent, you can do it. Can can you give an example of jobs in sport? Sports science and doing like physio and things for teams, water boys. Do you think there are any stereotypes behind people who do theatre? Yes, usually people who are considered quirky or a little bit neurodiverse, I suppose, end up in theatre. How hard is it to get a job in theatre? We in Ireland, we would support sports much more, I think, than the arts. Because I did a whole survey in this county on, the, on what was available. And of course, there was a huge amount of sports facilities but the arts facilities were very very small Can you give an example of jobs in theatre that is not on stage? Well there's the whole set design, whole costumes and makeup the person who's in charge of just managing the set and making sure there's like the people in charge of the lights, there's a whole technical element of it. if you're into like production and sound production and stuff, the performers also know that without the lights on them, no one's going to see them We interviewed two experts from each field, Jack Reardon theatre director from Stagecraft Clonmel What stereotypes do you think are behind theatre and drama. Like when I started drama, I was the only boy in my group. And now the youth theatre that we run in Clonmel and Tipperary probably has a 50-50 split. I think there's probably still some basis that is more geared toward young women. Can you give an example of job that is not on stage or... I think anything that's front-facing, which is, you know, so many careers, if you are a good talker, then theatre will stand to you. Do you think there's any similarities between sports and theatre? Camaraderie and that team spirit, something very similar between theatre and sport in that respect. So do you think a young person would be able to balance sports and theatre if they liked doing both? Absolutely. I mean, it's a question of if, if, if theatre's on a Friday night and sport's on a Thursday, well, then what's the problem? I always say to the young people in stagecraft, are you theatre? Do everything. If it gets to the point where you have to choose, then that's a part of life and it might be a difficult choice. But if you can make it all work, then why not? You know, you do school eight hours a day. You deserve to be able to do something fun in the evening. And what do you think is probably your favourite part of doing drama and doing theatre and directing and all those things? I don't know. I think it changes a lot. I I love what I do. I love getting to love what I do. I think in a lot of the recent work we do, we do a lot of community engagement work and seeing audiences' reactions to the work that we do when it it truly means something to them, that's always very special. And Denise Gall, Kilkenny Camogie player. What stereotypes do you think are behind people in sport? Probably being athletic. I suppose hard work and as well 
Do you think a young person should aim for a career in school? Um, I think if it's something they're passionate about and something that they're interested in, you want to make a career out of it 100% yet. Can you give an example of a job in sport that's not on a pitch? Both PE teaching is that strength and conditioning or sports psychologist. What advice would you give to someone who's taking up a sport for the first time? I suppose just be open to it. You're not going to get everything right the first go. I suppose you have to just be patient and put in the work. Let yourself enjoy, enjoy it as well. Do you think there are any similarities between sport and theatre? You're performing under pressure, then also I'd imagine there's a lot of teamwork involved. There's probably a lot of preparation and a lot of training goes into it. So if you're, whether you're putting on a play or whether you're going going playing a sport like what stereotypes did you find the most in sport a lot of people were talking about like how fish athletes have to be and like the hard work that they put in everyone seems to think that athletes are extremely driven and everyone seems to think that people in theatre are either just like really weird or like they're very like odd people yeah. when really we're all just normal people that have a passion for being on stage or in mm. front of the camera and I think that's the same with sports people they just have a passion I found that people seem to perceive sport as a very masculine hobby. That's very interesting actually because when I was interviewing Jack he said that when he first started out in drama most of the people in his drama group were young girls and he thought that it was just a thing for young girls but now he finds it's 50-50. What did you find like people were saying about young people wanting to aim for jobs in sport? I found that like a lot of people were saying like it's very hard that not many people get to do it but everyone was kind of in agreement that if you're passionate about it and you put in the work you should try you could get there that's exactly what everyone else was saying about theatre as well that like it's a really really hard business to be a part of but the more you try and the more you put yourself out there the more success you'll have everyone's kind of in agreement that if you want to do it give it a go i feel like there's a bit of a misconception of people when it comes to jobs in theatre they think that the only like jobs that aren't on stage especially when i was interviewing jack i kind of got a bit more insight into like the things that like you don't need theatre to do just theatre like doing theatre as a hobby might help you with your public speaking or with your like interactions like if you wanted to they work in radio doing theatre might help you with the confidence to go up to strangers and ask them questions things like that a lot of people don't seem to realise the amount that theatre helps people with certain jobs like when we were asking them about jobs you can get from sport they were giving lists of stuff like stuff to do with sports science and physio and analysing games and stuff like that all people mentioned for theatre was like backstage like lights and that yeah like you could use theatre as a hobby I feel like you could even use it in sport like if someone did theatre and then went on to become like a sports star they might find it way easier to do interviews and things because they might have a little bit of a history in doing drama when we set out to do this project we kind of thought that we would find a lot of similarities but also we wanted to stop the stigma behind doing sports and behind doing theatre because we feel like there's a lot of stigma behind people who do sports in the sense that they're very snobby, they think they're the best at everything. Once they do well in one thing, they think they're going to do well in everything else. And that's not true. People in sports, you know, they're just people. They like what they do. They are really passionate about what they do, so you can't blame them for being excited every day, do you know what I mean? Yeah, same in theatre, like, not all of them are as quirky as they're perceived. Some of them just genuinely like to put on a show. 
Exactly. Like some of us might be a bit dramatic, but like, like, like Faye. Thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> I'm dramatic myself. I'm just not a theatre person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I feel like there's a lot of like misconceptions about theatre people that, you know, you hear things about like English teachers that might have done theatre thinking that like, oh, theatre didn't work out for them. So it became a te- teacher. When really it can just be something you enjoy doing. It doesn't have to be a professional job. It doesn't have to be something you really, really can succeed in. It can just be something you find interesting. Same with sports. You might not want to go all the way with it, but it could just be something you find interesting. Yeah, it could just be to help with your confidence or to get fitter. Exactly. That is us on Is Sport and Theatre Really as Different as People Think? No, it is not. This TY Media Week programme is funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee and has been devised by Learning Waves in association with Beat 102 103. <laughs> Now we heard from eight of our TY Media Week students tonight and I'm honestly like a proud mom. Their projects are absolutely deadly. We're going to hear from the final six tomorrow night from 8pm on The Takeover so be sure to tune in. Coming your way next is Play Irish, Darren Kiley. Hey, I'm Ellie. We're going to be taking a little listen to some TY Media projects this hour but first, it's Gavin James. Julieva here on Tuesday night's takeover. Now, earlier I mentioned that we're going to have a little listen to some TY media projects. So we had 14 TY students join us from across the southeast last week for TY Media Week, which was coordinated by Megan and Jade here in Beat. And the students gained a great insight into radio and worked really hard during the week to create these five to six minute programs to broadcast on air. Last night we heard from eight of those students and tonight we have our final four. So next up is Ella Morrissey and Eva Finnan from Shamrocks to Sushi. They looked at everything to do with Irish culture. Well, dear, dear, what's the crack? Not much now, Mary. Just after putting on the shoe. Would you come here to me? Did you hear who died? Ah, stop. Who? I never checked her IP.A this morning. Siobhan O'Shea. Who is that now? Is that your one from down the road? No, no. It's your man's mother. Oh, Sean's? Ah, no. You know your man who owns the pub by the church? Go away. Sure, his mother knew my uncle's sister-in-law's godmother. That's the one. What's head now? Be takeover starting. Your grand. I'll leave you so. Bye. 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 The biggest hits on the planet. The takeover on beat. Have you ever wondered what makes us Irish people truly Irish? From our strange superstitions, you have warts rub a snail onto the wart, to our delicious cuisine. Today, we will be exploring the unique quirks and charms of Irish culture. To kick things off, we asked the people of Waterford their take on Irish quirk. What are some of your favourite weird Irish customs or phrases? Well, one of the weird Irish customs that I come across that I've been uh, given out to before we're not Irish people is the way when we're hanging up the telephone we keep on saying bye, 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 bye. How I go up to my friends and I'd be like, how are you doing, lads? And every time we're in training, they'd be like, right, here, lads. Also, how we slag each other. Like, I'd go up to my friend and be like, you look terrible today. Please fix your hair. Just no. <laughs> and they'd laugh and they'd be like, same with you. And it wouldn't be mean. It'd just be us having fun. Um, when you go to somebody's house and they don't stop asking you if you want a cup of tea until you say yes. I feel like I just love our sarcasm. I feel like our humour is very funny. Like, people abroad don't really get it. I like how um, 
wide awake, like, who shares their favorite stories about people. We interviewed our very own Irish TikToker, The Real Crack, a.k.a. Quiva Byrne, to spill the tea on all things Irish. Some of your favorite Irish quirks or customs? I suppose the first thing I think of there is the being polite on buses and stuff I feel like I went into Ireland over the summer and I noticed when I was in other countries everyone just tends to hop off the bus really quickly whereas in Ireland people tend to be like thank you you know going out so definitely being polite and stuff like that because yeah things like that so when you're describing someone you describe all their physical characteristics that everybody else has so your man with the glasses and then they're like who you're your man you know the chin and the your man with the, the hair you know that hair your man and then they're like oh yeah yeah your man down the road so like the things that aren't really yeah, descriptive, they just, that's how you tell people apart. What are some of your favourite Irish phrases or sayings? Feck it, I say a lot. <laughs> Can yeah. I say that? <laughs> Have you ever received comments about your Irish quirks or phrases on social media? Yeah, I suppose, yeah, especially if, like, if people aren't from Ireland and stuff, they're kind of like, what does it mean? If I say even like mammy, some people be like, like, what's ma-? like they maybe say like mom or something, they might know what mammy is. Well, yeah, when I went into Ireland as well, like um, there was one of the guys from Italy and he could never get over how we would just talk and everything and all our, like our accent, he never could never understand it. And even the word like influencer, he was like, like Irish influencer, like he didn't understand that. Like the things like I was saying, the sayings like, oh, sure, look at her, it'll be grand. You know, it's kind of like, what? Like he didn't, he, you have to kind of spell it out. And our last question is, as you've been traveling, do you have any like funny anecdotes or stories from your travels that highlights the uniqueness of being an Irish person abroad? Well, I brought, Barry's tea with me like so I went for like 23 days and I think I brought something mad like 60 like tea bags in a little potty pocket so I was like getting everyone to try like in the hostels getting to try the Barry's tea but I definitely miss like bacon and cabbage the cliche like Irish dinner like a roast or something at home so definitely that and like the crisps as well like I do love like a tato or like even like a king maybe that's a bit controversial yeah so I definitely miss like some of the Irish snacks and stuff yeah and the Irish people just are very friendly yeah. do you know and I did notice that like if you meet like an Irish person in a hostel when you're away you just automatically click to gain insights from someone outside of Ireland we had a chat with Praveen Gupta when did you first move to Ireland? Actually, I moved to Ireland first in 2006. What was your first impression of Irish people? My first impression was a very fantastic. Like Irish people love to talk about weather. I found the people there, especially the old people, like they're very loving, very caring. Were there any Irish customs or quirks that took you by surprise or required some getting used to? There are so many Irish sayings like, you know, how are you doing? They'll just say, oh, not too bad. When I hear like not too bad, it means I are you expected to be bad? And <laughs> no, you're not too bad means something goes well or something like that. Sometimes like, you know, if you when you complete the discussion or something, they will say good luck. I will just change like, you know, what this good look means. My looks are okay. (laughs) (laughs) So then I understood, okay, that that should be good luck, like, you know. And so people say sorry too many times. They will say sorry, 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 sorry. Maybe one sorry was enough. We then asked Beat listeners to send in their funny anecdotes as an Irish person living abroad. The next thing I think which is standard enough is like Irish people have such a reputation for drinking and alcohol. So for example, I would be out at a work event and I'd tell them that, oh, I'm I'm not drinking tonight or whatever. Everyone everyone would be shocked and they'd be like, you want to be careful they don't take the passport off you a friend of mine was teaching primary school kids in the uk like quite young first or second class there was a non-uniform day the next day and he wanted to announce and remind the class when they were heading home in the evening so he said kids don't forget you don't need to wear your school pants tomorrow it's a non-uniform day anyway fast forward a couple of hours and he got a phone call from the principal 
and his job got threatened and got a load of complaints because uh, he basically told the kids you don't need to wear underwear pants in the uk explicitly means underpants another mad thing that we do as well that i've noticed as well is saluting or waving at strangers when you're like going for a walk or on a hike or whatever someone walk past you and you're like hi how you doing or people in canada just don't know what to do or what's going on when you wave to them or you say hello you get kind of one or two responses really first one is people are shocked they nearly run in the opposite direction or two you get the people who take it really literally so you're walking past them you're like well how's it going and they're like ah not too bad now uh work was really hard this week and uh, my girlfriend's after leaving me like whoa 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 I don't care like well Sinead that wraps up our adventure into the heart of Irish quirks and customs remember whether it's a cosy capante or friendly what's the crack keep the spirit of Irish charm alive it's long of old this TY Media Week programme is funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee and has been devised by Learning Waves in association with Beat 102-103 here on the takeover now I'm Ellie filling in for Megan tonight absolutely loved that last TY Media project from Ella and Eva keep it here to hear more of those as well as brand new play Irish on the way for you right after Peggy Goo The Takeover on Beat Kingfisher and Vancouver here on Beat 102-103 now I've got some Marty Guilfoyle on the way for you but first this is Aoife Murphy and Kate Galvin's project and it's called Her Game Breaking Barriers and Redefining Paths Sports Beat Extra Beat 102-103 Today we'll be talking about girls dropping out of sport the reasons why and the different outlets available This is Her Game Breaking Barriers and redefining paths. Recent research from Sport Ireland has found that 30% of girls who have played sport at a primary school level have quit by the time they reach secondary school. To find out more, we spoke to Dino Halloran from Platinum Fitness, a gym owner in Waterford. Would you have any opinion on what the reasons for this is? I think it's a fairly kind of complex uh, topic. I suppose there's many, many different barriers and, and different factors that come into play. An agenda stereotype that comes with down through generations for, for sport in general. But if you look around the typical role models around, you know, around the world, you have Ronaldo, Messi, you know, and all the types of things that predominantly male well, I think I think of late there is definitely more of a push for, for females in sports um, and look even in our own country you know like the likes of Katie McCain for, for Ireland the soccer team and, and the Ireland soccer team doing really well even Beth Harton for Waterford and um, Maisel Hurler and like Katie Taylor from the boxing so yeah I think there's definitely there's definitely more of a push for females you know moving forward but I think the main kind of thing is probably the lack of role models and then obviously come on to like the, the personal and social barriers that come with it so like I'm not too sure if you've done a bit of research, but there's a, an organisation called Women in Sport. Yeah. Um, and they've done a research in, in, in 2022. They kind of highlighted some of the, the reasons why people, why the teenagers are dropping off. 68% said that uh, fear of feeling judged. 61% said they have lack of confidence. 47% uh, pressure from schoolwork. Um, and then you move on to the kind of complex topics like um, females hitting puberty, where 78% said they avoid sport when they have their period. So I think. Overall, just an increased awareness around kind of even females managing that, that kind of puberty stage. And then just just a more of a push from the communities and all that as well. There's so many factors that have to play, but um, it's multi-complex, but that's, that's some of my opinions on it anyway. And do you think having a female coach or, from your perspective, a female personal trainer has more of an impact on girls? And more of an impact, um, not, not so in particular, I think. What we have down the gym house, we have male and female. I think there's quite there's benefits for both. Um, obviously, female coaches are are can, can release. So obviously, the female 
uh, things like menstrual cycles and all that type of stuff. But then in saying that, then I would obviously have all the knowledge myself. So a lot of females would come to me and ask for advice on, on things like that as well. But definitely 100% is something that I, that I will always have at the gym because obviously some females aren't comfortable. But it is, it, you can get quite, there's benefits from both males, males and females can bring different things to the table. So I think a good mixture of both. Um, is important. We took to the streets of Waterford to get girls' opinions on it. Here's what they had to say. I think it's to prioritise studying in school. I suppose there's not a, enough support given to them in their younger years. To, to um, exercise. And probably because they find other interests and think that like sport isn't as important anymore. Um, I feel like they leave sport because they don't feel like they're doing like enough. I feel like it's because of school. I don't know. <laughs> Do you think that a female coach or a female personal trainer has more of an impact on teenage girls? Probably. Girls respond to girls better, don't they? Um, I think that a female coach is better as it's more inspirational and I think it motivates girls to take part in sports. And Yeah, I agree. I think it's inspirational like to see like a woman you know, someone like coaching you and you could be them someday. It's a source of motivation for the girls. But gym and sport aren't the only outlets available today. I interviewed two All-Ireland driving champions, Nadine and Ol. Teenage girls are three times more likely than boys to leave sport. What reasons do you think are behind this? Probably the same as myself. Like, no clubs growing up. Usually, like, in a local area, there wouldn't be that many women, like, wanting to go out and play sport with families and things. So I suppose that was sort of the big thing in my area. What Nadine said, the same, there's no club in Calavan either for the women's till this year they've got one back. Do you think having either a male or female coach, PT or instructor has a greater positive impact on mainly young girls today? Um, I think so, yeah. I'd reckon, I'd reckon as a PT, a woman would open up to a woman PT. It's kind of hard when it's a man. It's nearly like they're looking, da- not looking down on you, but just wouldn't appreciate your work as much as a, another woman and another woman would be able to encourage a woman on more. Uh, for me, probably a woman is that Men just don't open up to other men, really. Your classes are very inclusive to everyone I notice, and of all ages and abilities, regardless of sporting or fitness background. Do you feel it brings women together to exercise and stay fit? Oh, definitely, yeah. It's a great, it's a great, it really is counted as a sport, like the exercise you do in a jiving lesson, you know, through line dances and everything. It's definitely a great sport. Um, and definitely does bring more women out. I do find, as you said yourself, with the older women coming here, they, they nearly want to come themselves and they drag their husband with them to learn out the waltz or whatever. So it's great to see like the couples coming out that wouldn't have got out, like be too afraid to go up on the dance floor or to come here and, you know, get their confidence up. Finally, how do you help girls and women here today in your classes to stay confident? I suppose it's up to them whether they want to join in or not. You know, we have a lot of uh, men and women that come and just nearly enjoy watching this sitting sit in the corner and again the wall and they're happy enough to watch and you know we don't mind that so so like there's no pressure on you you can learn what you want to learn if you don't like a certain move we're going through you don't have to do that move so it's completely up to the person themselves whether they want to participate or not so it's, it's good that way you know it's not like training where you're out in the cold either you know we're always in a hall and if you don't like the jiving there's the line dancing to do and if you don't like that there's walls and whatever so we kind of try to hit everything in a class every week like so kind of good that way yeah there's a lot of dances like i wouldn't be as good as the jive but i find like the line dancing all is very fun and all and like feel like you always help people like when you're going around and so in conclusion we need more female athletes and more female coaches to motivate and inspire the young generation because this isn't his game or her game it's our game this ty media week program is funded by the broadcasting authority of ireland with the television license fee and has been devised by learning waves in association with beat 102 103 this is 
Moncrief and Love Somebody here on Beat 102.03. Now, last but not least in our lineup of TY Media Projects, Bill Clune and Molly Kearney decided to investigate this question and it's a very relevant question today. Is vaping really that cool? Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Bill. And we're here today to investigate why people vape. We started off by asking a group of young people on the streets of Waterford some questions surrounding this topic. Our first question was, quite simply, why do you think people vape? I don't know, I'd say they think it's cool, but they're not. Because they feel peer pressure to do so. Don't to impress their friends. Peer pressure. So they can fit in. Do you think it has a positive or negative effect on social lives? Negative. A very negative effect. After that interesting feedback, we spoke to one young man in his 20s. And we asked him what percentage of people he knows vape. I'd say 90 probably. Why, in your opinion, do you think people vape? I'd say it's probably because of uh, social standing to look cool, I guess, and probably peer pressure. Next, we spoke to a young girl who's addicted to vaping, and she told us her story of how she got to be where she is now. Would you say vaping is a big part of your life today? Definitely, yes. Would you say it surrounds you? Yeah, majority of the time. So when did you yourself start vaping? I tried it first when I was nearly 14, 15, I think, around then, but I never really properly got addicted to it until around a year ago. What made you get addicted? Um, I started hanging out with like, new friends and then majority of that group like did vape so we all kind of kind of threw that in a way and then I was always out with them so I'd always have it on me and then through being out with them and being on my own I gradually started doing it more. So what percentage of the people you know do you think vape? Around 70 or 80 percent of the people honestly. And why do you think all these people vape? I think most of it starts off by hanging out with people even not being even being peer pressured into it but just doing it because your friends might be doing it to look cool and then from there you end up actually getting addicted to it. So do you think even in this day today, vaping is perceived as cool? Yeah, definitely. Would you say that specifically in young people? Yeah. Okay, and would you think the new law being put into place that prohibits the sale of nicotine inhaling products to anyone under 18 years old is a good law? I do because there's a lot of places here and there especially that do serve to under 18 and that's how majority of like people here are getting it so I think it was stopped it would increase the amount of people who aren't starting with the young people anyway and have you ever researched or do you know some of the effects of vaping both on your physical and mental health yes I've seen I've read them before and I've seen situations where people do end up in like bad situations but I just like I, I try to stop myself and it I've, I would say I've gotten better at it to like me not using it all the time trying not to rely on it but it's still an issue where like it doesn't stop me from doing it. Well thank you very much we really appreciate your input. We've now heard some valuable opinions from the public about why people vape and how they feel about it but now with some solid information on vaping we have Dr. Teresa Larry Lennon. Why do you think young people begin to vape? Peer pressure is one, the fact they're easy to get, a lot cheaper than cigarettes. But nicotine dependence, the maximum amount allowable is 20%. But we've heard all these stories that have been in the press, you know, there's been uh, where many of these vaping products, the uh, juices, many of these ranges have contained nicotine 50% over the legal limit. So when they are being tested, they're, they're showing that many of them have uh, a much higher level Level of nicotine than has even been stated on the bottle or, or the pack. What are the major consequences that vaping has on young people's health? Other risks are then injuries, so that you can you can you know some of these things with the batteries in the e-cigarettes. 
Um, you can get defective batteries. They could cause injuries, for instance, burning. Others are poisoning and exposure to the toxins. So, for instance, e-cigarette liquid, if that comes in contact with your skin, it, it, um, uh, it, it can be dangerous as well. It's harmful to children. It causes changes to how the heart, the lungs and other organs normally work. And over time, then, uh, these risks could cause diseases such as heart disease, lung disease and, and cancer. And um, while I know the long-term health impact of vaping is still unclear, there is a lot of evidence out there now to show uh, these risks from vaping. What is your opinion on the new law that was passed which prohibits the sale of vaping products to under-18s? I think it's great news. Um, it's very welcome legislation banning the sale of vapes to under-18s that has been approved in the doll. Uh, so that is very good news. Um, I'm hoping that that will have a, a positive effect, but uh, that that will remain to uh, be seen. So, so far today, we've heard a lot of different voices and opinions on vaping and how common it is at the moment, as well as information from health lecturer at SETU, Teresa Lowry-Lennon. So we heard some of the outcomes of vaping from Teresa, but there are a lot more out there that not a lot of everyday vapors are aware of. Starting off with some physical effects. Nicotine exposure during the teenage years can harm brain development. So if you're someone who likes to do well in school, throw your vape away. It impacts your learning, memory, attention and increases the risk of future addiction to other drugs. So if you have plans for a bright future, stop borrowing your friends' vapes. According to digitalmedia.gov, a study about the physical fitness of young men who use tobacco products found that men who vaped reported running slower and doing fewer push-ups and sit-ups compared to men who had never vaped or smoked. It can also be a major cause of asthma. So if you're someone who likes their fitness or plays a sport competitively, just stop wasting money on vapes. Short-term side effects of vapes include coughing, shortness of breath, eye irritation, headaches and nausea. So if you're not a fan of being sick, just stop taking pulls of your brother's friend's vape. This isn't even mentioning the mental health outcomes of vaping, which shows it leading to anxiety and stress-related behaviour, depression and suicide-related behaviour. Now this doesn't mean you can't do a turnaround now. A Truth Initiative survey of young people who quit vaping found that 90% of those who quit said they felt less stressed, anxious and depressed. So please, for the benefit of your friends, family and for yourself, put down the vape today. This TY Media Week programme is funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee and has been devised by Learning Waves in association with Beat 102 103.